always loved and admired Peter's talk. Um, I'm always praying that he's absolutely accurate because I've given his talks many times now. <laughs> but today, I want to say, Peter, you probably saved me at least several hundred dollars in political donations, so I really <laughs> appreciate you. I was just about to hit that press, you know. I was really thinking, am I going to get back in time? Because <laughs> really interesting. <laughs> okay. I'm gonna, I was going to wear these, but they have a transformation of their own. They get dark. So just in case they decide to transform in front of our eyes, I won't. Swamiji in... Um, the first chapter of his Raja Yoga course has a line that has stuck with me since I first read it. Uh, it's, it just says so much, of course, almost all of his lines do, but he said there's a preface to it, and I don't know what that is, but basically in order to learn what you're about to learn in these 14 classes of Raja Yoga, he said, it takes a complete revolution of the mind. It's such a beautiful phrase, really, on a couple of levels for me, because first of all, he's right, and we know this. We, I mean, of course he's right, but we come in, and the very nature of our human birth, and I'm aware that this is uh, kindergarten for all of us, but I'm just going to start here anyway. The very nature of our birth means that we're born into delusion. And as soon as we're born, you know, now I'm beginning to understand why, really, as I listen to Peter, but we're hijacked in so many ways. We're just taught so many things from the very first minute. And so first, it takes a revolution of the mind to move on to a spiritual path, which means in the sense of a revolution, we have to completely turn our minds around. In fact, eventually we have to transcend the mind, of course, which is the second meaning that I always get out of that line, which means we have to have a revolution here. We really need to go to war with everything that we've been taught. And so in a sentence, he just sets up for me when I'm teaching that my whole first class. We're often teaching it to newer people than I think uh, many of us are. But I just love that complete revolution of the mind. There's, um, I heard a joke the other day about a student who said to his meditation teacher, uh, if I practice really diligently, how long will it take me to achieve enlightenment. And the teacher stops and he looks at the students and, student and he says, 10 years. And the student thinks about it and he says, okay, if I really double my effort, if I really go after it, if I take it on with all my mind, how long will it take me? And the teacher stops very calmly and he looks at him and he says, 20 years. <laughs> but, and it's, it's funny except it's how really the vast majority of people in the world think about it. They do not have that realization yet that the things that we really need to know, the things that are really going to impact our lives in, po in a positive 
direction. All of what we think we want and what we think we're aiming for can really never be known to us through the mind, that they can only come to us from a place of intuitive perception in that infinite consciousness. I mean, we use these words all the time and we know it, but there is a path that we're traveling to get from everything in the world that's happening to us and impacting us to that place of calmness, of introspection, of deep devotion, of deep love. And everything along that path is really transformation. It's our soul's transformation. I, I love the inspiration that was behind uh, this whole week of classes because I have to say, I didn't look at it very carefully until I was up here. But when I was thinking of this line of transformation, I was looking at the days. Joe Tish and Davey, of course, present us with this overview, this presentation. They talk about a little bit of everything in a very deep way on day one. And then we talk about karma. And then we talk about the chakras. And now we're talking about meditation. And tomorrow we'll talk about the guru. And it's just so perfect how we're growing into our spiritual transformation and our spiritual uh, life. So meditation uh, is many things for us. First of all, it is the, the knowing that we need to start moving energy in an upward direction. These are not thoughts or realizations or an awareness that many people have. But once we begin meditating, we see that we need to begin to move our energy in an upward direction. And that we need to develop the habit of doing that. And I don't know the neurobiology, but I think it must be, it's completely wrapped up with what Peter is telling us, that we have to have that habit. Many of you know that, you know, I just, I took a month off and it took me really six to nine months to arrange a month off. In other words, it was precious to me. <laughs> I was attached, I'll admit it. And um, I never planned to be in seclusion, but I planned to be at home every day and quiet. And uh, that's what I planned. That's not what Master thought I needed. So suffice it to say, two weeks into the time, I had my purse stolen, um, my wallet stolen out of my purse at Safeway. And I said to myself right away, right at the cash register, when I went to reach for my wallet and it wasn't there, oh, this is just going to be such an inconvenience. That's what I said. And anyway, it, uh, it was, and it was a bit of a major inconvenience. But the only reason I'm telling this story is because I went to the police station. I had to file a report in order for Safeway to release the video. I knew exactly the moment and exactly the aisle I was in when this adorable little 18-year-old took my wallet. I, I knew what happened. I was scammed and it worked. But um, the, what was fascinating to me that happened at both the police station, then after a cumulative seven and a half hours at the DMV, 
four hours in Social Security, and on and on and on. But the policeman said to me at the very end of this hour with them, you're not angry, are you? And I said, no, I'm not angry. And they said, don't you want to get her and press charges? And I said, not really. I'd love to get her and talk with her. I'd like to tell her, this is so bad for you, what you're doing. And I said, I may ask her to give me back my 40 hours in volunteer time. He said, we dread these encounters because people come in here and they're so angry and they pour all that anger on us. And he said, we were just waiting for you to come. I said, oh, no, I'm not angry. I wasn't. And I realized, you know, that when we begin to train our mind after however long it takes us to get in that direction of energy coming upward, that so much of the spiritual path and so much about meditation is really about redirecting energy. Giondev said it beautifully yesterday. He said the whole thing is about bringing energy in because in is the only place where we can ultimately know everything, where we can get to that point of infinity or eternity. When you're going out, no matter how seductive the draw is, it's a dead-end street. We find that out over and over and over. The only way to be free is to come in and to go up. We know that meditation takes us from ego consciousness to soul consciousness, to, to using consciousness and energy rather than other mediums to try and get what we want. That meditation takes us from affirmation of ideas or goals to the experience of those goals. And we also know that it, we know, we learn through meditation, particularly through Kriya, that every breath has the possibility of taking us closer to God. But here's where I'd really like to go for the rest of this talk, and that is we also find through meditation that it brings us, it speaks to us, the way we've learned it, what we discover in our spine, in our astral spine, with every breath, is that we're moving towards Om. We're moving towards that, the sound of that vibration that is the creation from the infinite spirit of everything that we see. I don't know how many of you did this, but I have now listened to the sounds of the sun many times since Monday, really saying to myself, get that sound, bring it into your mind, set it as a goal, that's where you're going. But then through Om, through it, beyond it, to that point of absolute silence that's at the core of every atom of our being. That silence from which all creation is really a reflection of that center of every atom in our being. And that path that we're on, 
that we say we're going to come from creation back to that point of infinite awareness. That's what we call transformation. We call it transcending the delusion that everybody comes in with. That's transformation. But realizing that we're a reflection of something that we want to come back into and know that is how meditation becomes transformation. To really learn to enjoy that silence. Swamiji said in a talk that he gave that I heard recently, he was talking about his time with Rajasi, who was, for those of you who don't know, uh, Yogananda's foremost, most highly evolved male disciple. And uh, Swamiji said he used to go and sit with Rajasi. He said Rajasi had no interest ever in small talk. Swamiji said, he said, I used to sit at his feet and wonder, does he just not have anything to say? He said, but he realized that Rajasi had come to such peace, to such terms with that inner silence that he was heading right into the center of every atom of his being. And, and Swamiji was saying in this talk, that is what we need to do. We need to learn to practice being not just comfortable with the inner silence, but holding it as our goal, that understanding that in that silence lies the realization that we were made in the image of God and in that particular place that we can learn to love ourselves, that we will love the highest manifestation of our being, that that is what, this is not something Swamiji said now, he did say that, but that you begin to realize that that love that sits there, eventually, after you sit in that silence and you appreciate the absolute stillness of the heart there, you know that line, we heard this song earlier this week, come to us when our hearts are still. It's such a beautiful line in Swamiji's song because it's that stillness. It's not come to us when. It's the knowing that it is the only way that God can come to us, that he cannot reach us as hard as we're trying, even in meditation, to move to that place so that we can receive that divine energy we have to still our hearts. This is what Diksha was saying yesterday when she was talking about the third chakra, the fourth chakra. It's so, not like every chakra isn't important, of course they are, but in that chakra we begin to realize our own formlessness and we can quiet and still our emotions there and the divine can enter. And when we spend enough time there in meditation and we begin to realize and have the experience of love and then we move beyond that and we come to that place where we know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I am love. 
And suddenly those words, which have just felt like words for lifetimes, and certainly in this lifetime for me for years, we come to that perfectly still, quiet place, and we realize that is what we are. That is how we were made. That is transformation. Knowing that Divine Mother is not only there, but that we are that. And when we become assured, again, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that that love is in our hearts, that joy is within us, that's transformation. When I first read this topic about meditation and transformation, it sort of boggled my mind. I thought, how can you narrow it down and talk about any one aspect of it? Because all of our meditation is carrying us along this road. And it's not like transformation is something waiting at the end of it. We are souls on a journey. And everything we do, every right attitude, every moment of serving, every act of love, every time we say to somebody, when you see me being hijacked, put your finger on me and say to me, stop. When we do those things, that's all on this path of transformation. Divine Mother lives within us. She manifests through us when we allow it. It's no longer, as I was thinking about this talk and meditating on it, it clarified something for me. It's not Divine Mother. It's Divine Mother. It's worshiping that our, our own infinite self from that knowing of infinite love and infinite joy. You know, we've all heard that um, Sri Yukteswar talked a lot about devotion and that we cannot move to a place of enlightenment. I always heard that he said, you can't put one foot in front of the other without um, practicing the heart's devotion, without developing it. I actually got the quote from his uh, book, The Holy Science, and I want to read it to you because um, when Diksha was talking yesterday and then Gyan Dev, and I was realizing how, um, how uh, the word, I'm having trouble finding the word, essential the work that we do in our chakras is, and particularly as we move upward, how important it is to be paying attention to what devotion is, to what expansion is, to what wisdom is, because wisdom really is the power of the soul to know the truth. And I thought we need to really develop practices day by day, bring it into our meditation. Of course, we do this through Kriya, to just be working at every chakra. Sri Yukteswar said, after acknowledging in, in uh, paragraphs before that God, uh, God is waiting for us through our devotion to invite his help. Sri Yukteswar says, hence 
The culture of this love, the heavenly gift, is the principal thing for the attainment of holy salvation, and it is beyond doubt impossible for man to advance a step towards the same without this. It is impossible for man to advance a step towards enlightenment um, without realizing devotion. It means realizing it. It means knowing it. It doesn't mean thinking about it or working towards it. I thought that if we took something away from this week that we could focus on, something not new to any of us, but a reawakening of some old thoughts about meditation, that we could look at the line that we all say every week in our festival, open your heart to me and I will enter and take charge of your life. Again, because opening the heart means the realization that we are that love. You know, when we talk about, um, again, receiving God, when we talk about this journey up the chakras, we're talking about raising ourselves up. This is one of the primary goals of our meditation. And I thought, what if we took that phrase home and we just started repeating it to ourselves, not just on Sundays, not just when we hear it in the festival, but if every day we were saying, I'll open my heart to you so you can enter and take charge of your life. And it takes great courage and steadfastness to do this. Swamiji said about Master, he said he was so enthusiastic and earnest. Swamiji said, most of us look for reasons to not meditate. Master always looked for reasons to meditate. And Swami said, it takes courage. You have to have this ferocious courage. I think that was mentioned. Maybe Davy mentioned it earlier in the week. But Swamiji said it, to be able to do this. The path is clear. It's obvious to us. We hear these beautiful words about realizing divine mother in our heart. But look at what all of what we have to let go of. Look at the tendencies to not want to take an employee and say, what is wrong with you? You know, I had an adorable experience here the other day. I decided to go up on Tuesday to buy a card at the uh, Crystal Hermitage gift shop. And I walked over there and I checked it out with somebody who said, it's open at 1.30, yeah. So I was with a friend, and we sat there from 1.30 to 2.15. And by 2.15, I said, let's just go. But I also said, boy, you know, they should at least send somebody up here to put out a sign. And what are they thinking? People are, and I said more, which I'm not going <laughs> to expose anymore about what I said. But there was more. And so, and I looked at my friend, I said, what day is today? She said, Wednesday. I said, yeah, I thought it was Wednesday. So we're driving down the hill, and Om Prakash is driving by us. He, by the way, opens and runs that gift shop in his golf cart. So I stop. I said, Om Prakash, I've been waiting for you for 45 minutes. He was not frazzled at all. He said, really? 
He said, um, you know, we're not even usually open on Tuesdays. And I said, is it Tuesday? And he said, yeah, but then he said the most adorable thing to me. He said, let me ask you. He was not being judgmental. He was sharing in the most beautiful way. He said, did you have a little bit of that feeling of like self-righteousness and where are they? And I said, caught. I mean, there was no way out of it. You know, it's so natural to go to these places. And like Peter said, it just always feels so right. So how, what practices are we, how are we going to remind ourselves? We're all already meditating. How can we deepen our meditation? How can we recharge it? How can we say, I'm going to use this next year till next year, spiritual renewal week, and really move myself further towards this total transformation, to move more quickly down that path. Um, which I had, and I'll close with this now, but there was um, another interesting thing that happened. A few friends, I made breakfast for a few people on Tuesday morning, and um, at the end of the conversation, we spent about 15 or 20 minutes talking about Swamiji's song, The Hill That Was Tara. And we just got into how much we loved that song, and we went through it line by line. And of course, we came here, and the song that was sung was The Hill That Was Tara. I mean, talk about thoughts being universally rooted. But I'd like us to just hold a couple of those lines as we're thinking about opening our heart and letting God enter, about raising our energy up, about calming our feelings in the heart, about living more consciously, thoughtfully every day with the realization that Divine Mother is sitting in there guiding us, helping us into this transformation, that when we can get quiet enough and still enough that we are that, just like we say in Hong Saw all the time. I'm just looking for the words here so that I don't do what I often do in the midst of something and forget them. But the end of that song, of course, many people here will know this, but Swamiji wrote, I knew in a moment that uh, the deeds that men do never die. Each victory is true. That's so powerful. It means every single thing that we do helps us build our way towards the final transformation from ego consciousness to soul consciousness, from affirmation to experience, everything we do. And then he says, every effort we spend brings more life, brings more, gives more strength in the end till our gladness enjoys ever new. And I realized after we were talking about it and after I listened to it, of course it is ever new. It's that point of utter silence, that place of intuitive perception, that constantly renewing of God's love in every atom in our being. It never gets old. Every time we can find our way back there, our gladness enjoys. All of a sudden, I was thinking there was a medical emergency. That's usually when I'm 
called. So I thought to myself, okay, rest at that point of intuitive perception. Let me just end here with a charge to all of us that we uh, carry with us this thought of opening our heart where Divine Mother lives, where our highest and truest self lives, and let us appreciate ourselves moment by moment in our highest form as much as we can throughout this next year. I'd like to begin by asking us to uh, dive into the prefrontal lobes of the brain for a moment, if we're going to use the anatomical terms. Um, go into the spiritual eye for just a moment. And so close your eyes and feel for a moment that this is the moment when Master comes to us. This is the moment where we can experience meditation. Gaze into the light if you can see the light. Behind closed eyes. Or listen to the inner sounds if you can hear any of them. These are realities that are always present with us, but we have to learn to notice them. We have to learn to tune into them. Okay, you can open your eyes if you feel to. And this topic struck me at one point as a little bit of a trick question. Because how meditation transforms your life or my life, there's a word in there that you know, it's one of these little catch-22s. If we take the word your out of the sentence, how meditation transforms life. When we have actually experienced meditation, we realize that it's no longer my life. 
It's no longer your life. It's no longer somebody else's life. It's life. It's God's life. And that identification or misidentification is critical. Shanti was speaking, and I want to segue onto what she said, which is actually a very helpful beginning. Um, she, she said, I, we realize in meditation, I am love. We use the term meditation quite frequently to speak of the practices, the process, the techniques that we follow. And that's good. That's fine. But we should, in fact, most of the time, that's really how we're referring to it, probably 80 or 90% of the time or even more. But the act, let's, we should remind ourselves and we should remember what Shanti was saying. And I'll just uh, sort of augment it a little bit here that meditation ultimately is an experience. That experience can be the result of all those practices. They can help bring us to the experience, but meditation, properly speaking, is an actual experience. And as we know, it's the experience of God or one or more of the eight aspects of God, and love, of course, is one of those aspects. But it struck me, I, some years ago I saw a bumper sticker. Actually, on Tuesday I was thinking about bumper stickers for some reason, and I was reminded, as the topic of karma, I was reminded of one of the cute bumper stickers I saw in Sacramento was, my karma ran over your dogma. And, you know, and it's sweet, and it's sort of cute, and there's actually a certain amount of meaning in that. Another one was gravity, it's not just a good idea, it's the law. And... Again, you sort of extract a little bit of meaning out of that. But I saw another bumper sticker uh, that really just stopped me in my tracks because it had a profound truth that I have reflected on ever since, and it's been some years since I saw it. You are not your story. And if you reflect on that for a moment, if we reflect because we jolly well think we are our story. We've lived a lot of lives. We've spent a lot of time getting to where we are now. We do a lot of things that we think define who we are. And they don't. And how meditation truly transforms our life, our life, is it takes us out of what we think of as our life, and it takes us to what we truly are, who and what we truly are, which is far, far beyond all that. I had an experience long ago, and I'm going to single out Nalini here. This goes back into the early 1980s. She probably has never even heard me tell this story, but um, there was a, a blessing in it. Back in the early 80s, we had a center in Nevada City, and every so often there'd be a kirtan, and a few times she invited me to come to the kirtan, and she said, oh, and bring your guitar, sort of as an afterthought. And the first time this happened, I was too stupefied to know how to respond, so I probably said nothing at all, because there were two problems with bring your guitar. Problem A was I had no guitar. Um, and 
which was not a, a, a an insurmountable problem because I I'm sure I could have borrowed one. You know, I mean there were there were guitars around. It's not like you know we lived in a universe that had no guitars in it. It's just that I didn't own one. But the real problem was not that I didn't have the guitar. The problem was that I didn't know how to play a guitar. <laughs> so even if I had a guitar. I really wasn't going to be of a whole lot of use at this kirtan. Yeah, I mean, I could bring the guitar, but, you know, it doesn't, there's no, no business results. I mean, there's just nothing happening there. Well, it, it happened another time, and this time I think I, you know, a month or two later, you know, oh, and bring your guitar. I, I was like, no, this time I was prepared, you know, I, but I don't have a guitar, and I, I don't know how to play guitar. Well, that didn't phase her one bit. Just, I mean, just, you know. So the third time, a little light went on <laughs> inside. And as, I mean, the light might have gone on, but I mean, I actually you know, tuned into the light later. And what the light said was, gosh, you know, if she thinks I can play a guitar, maybe I should think I could play a guitar. And maybe I should actually like do something about that. And so Biraj sold me his guitar and I you know, slowly took a couple, two, three lessons, and I, you know, lumped along and gradually learned to play the guitar. And a certain self-identification crept in. I, I never got to the point, even after all these years, I never got to the point of saying, I am a guitarist, because I am not. I do occasionally play a guitar, but that doesn't make me a guitarist. But at least the, the, the movement of energy came as, yes, you can do this. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to coin a phrase, Peter's not here to hear this, but this is a little bit of the, the positive side of what I'm going to call the Patricia effect or the Patricia influence. You know, the, the poke that says stop. Well, there can also be a poke that says um, you could be that or you could do that. And we can do that for each other. And... I, I'm going to segue into a thought that may seem like a complete non sequitur, but I want to um, sort of weave this in. We all do something, at least especially here at Ananda Village, but um, those of us who meditate, when we have the chance, we try to meditate together in a group. And there's something powerful that happens in that process. And this is the, the sort of bizarre segue. I imagine probably most people here have heard of cryptocurrencies and the, there's a term that underlies cryptocurrencies called blockchain. Blockchain is the technology, I see a few people nodding their heads and most everybody has a completely, <laughs> I have no idea where this is going. And I'm not going to try to explain it in detail, first of all, because it would take too long, and second of all, because I wouldn't know what I was talking about. However, I do know this much, that a blockchain is a verifiable amount of work that has been done. It can be demonstrated and checked. And what happens, one of many, many things that happens when we go to a group meditation is we create connections. Connections happen to other people. Our support is felt and we feel other people's support. And we start to wear that. We start to own that on a certain level. We walk around with that. And every day when we meditate by ourselves or in a group, that little 
series of connections that those little building blocks of consciousness start to create a life, start to create the building blocks of our consciousness and start to train us to think, oh, I guess I'm not just the body. I may think that I'm the body or I'm not just the personality, even though I'm reminded every time I get indignant or, you know, feel fearful or uh, whatever that I get stuck in that. Meditation, breath by breath, we practice Hong Saw. Shanti just mentioned, we're, we're repeating, I am spirit. That's what that vibration is trying to train us into. And we tune into the spiritual eye. There was a there was an automobile many years ago that was unusual and very far ahead of its time. It was built in the 1950s called the Tucker. And it was aerodynamic and it got good gas mileage. But the point of it for this in this context was it had a third eye. It had three headlights. In fact, they, they jokingly called the middle one the Cyclops because it had this unusual function. Have you ever gone down the road, especially I noticed this on the winding river road that leads to Ananda, and it's nighttime, and you're making one of those pretty sharp turns, and you know, if you're driving like I do sometimes, you're driving fairly vigorously, enthusiastically. <laughs> What you'll notice is that your headlights are pointing straight ahead, but the road is turning over here to the left. Well, the little Cyclops headlight in this car was designed to operate with the steering wheel. It was directed by the steering wheel to point where it was going. If you've ever stepped on someone's toe and had them go, watch where you're going, that's what that headlight did. It watched where you were going. And in our lives and in the practice of meditation, in the process of meditation, we learn to look where we're going. Because what we see, what we look at, what we give our attention to, assumes reality for us, assumes a greater and greater reality. It assumes a certain magnetism for us. And that magnetism can either pull us back into the indignation that Peter was talking about or the, you know, the fearfulness. Um, Melody spoke a little bit about this in reference to the first chakra security issues. It can pull us back into that sense of smallness or it can awaken us to our highest potential. And that's really what meditation is trying to do for us. It's trying to show us we are this highest reality. We are not the story that we came in with. We are built on bliss. This is one of these little gems that are so, so frequent in the autobiography of a yogi, and yet we can just breeze right by them. And I'm, I'm thinking that this may be one that many of us have not thought about or had not, have not sort of uh, chewed on a little bit. This happens in the resurrection of Rama, the, the raising Rama from the dead, the chapter. And Sri Yukteswar is expounding on the Bible, and he's talking about something that Christ said to his disciples. And it's the story of raising Lazarus from the dead, which is the segue for 
master telling the story, or Sri Yukteswar, master relating Sri Yukteswar telling the story of Rama getting raised from the dead. And so Sri Yukteswar quotes the Bible and he quotes Christ saying that the Son of Man is going to be glorified by this uh, episode of Lazarus getting raised from the dead. And what Sri Yukteswar says is, in this passage, Jesus calls himself the Son of God. Though he was truly united with God, his reference here has a deep impersonal significance, my guru explained. The Son of God is the Christ or divine consciousness in man. No mortal can glorify God. The only honor that man can pay his creator is to seek him. Man cannot glorify an abstraction that he does not know. The glory or nimbus around the head of the saints is a symbolic witness of their capacity to render divine homage. And that little passage of man cannot glorify an abstraction that he does not know, that is the juncture between the process of meditation and the experience of meditation. We have to spend enough time gazing into the light, whether we see that light or not, listening for the sounds, whether we hear them or we don't, practicing Hong Sa, whether our mind wanders or, or not. If I had a nickel for every time someone had said to me, in any part of the world, oh, I can't meditate, my mind wanders. It's like, well, hello. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is why we practice. <laughs> but we can tend to think that way. I really appreciated something Anandi said, uh, that we neither accept nor reject. So we sit to meditate. We don't, if we have a wonderful meditation, haha, pretty good. Oh, that's me. I'm doing that. If we have a lousy meditation, oof, I just can't meditate. We don't need to ride that roller coaster. We don't have to accept or reject. We simply say, I am engaged in the process, and it's God's meditation. It's God's life. It's Master's meditation. And we act as instruments for it, and the world is blessed, and we are blessed because we're the instruments of it. You know, it occurred to me the other night when we had the kirtan up there in the new temple. I don't know how many of us have ever had the chance to play as big an instrument as that temple is. You know, it really was an instrument, and we were all inside of that instrument, and it was phenomenal. It was incredible. So I, I will say to all of us here, go in that temple when the workers are not there and sing or chant home or do something because those walls are not going to stay open forever. And while they're open, we have access to all the wood that's just like a guitar, a cello, a violin, whatever, a harmonium that gets sweeter with the sound. Well, we are all of us instruments too. And let's be instruments for the meditation, both the process, but especially for the experience of. Because the experience of is not 
absolutely dependent on the practice. That experience can come to us at odd moments where we're not expecting it at all. Master can give us the experience of samadhi whenever, whenever we're ready for it, whenever the time is right. You know, Master tells us very colorfully in the autobiography that his mind was distributed like leaves in a storm just moments before he receives samadhi. I don't know if you've ever had a distributed like leaves in the storm kind of meditation before, but I've had one or two, shall we say. And it gives me great hope to think that samadhi could be right just waiting. Let's approach the practice and the process with that point of view because the experience is always waiting for us. Let's close now by standing and and let's send out to all the world the blessings of God's light, of God's love, of God's joy that we are made in the image of. Send out these blessings to all the world. Oh.